Hey, so this morning is the final installment of our series on fearless, be, to be fearless. Now think about this. Your best life is on the other side of fear. Think about it. Your best life is on the other side of fear. And all of us in our experience, in our story, we've been bound by fear in some areas of our life, which holds us back from our best life. So I want to talk about that this morning. What would it look like your best life now in terms of worship? What would that look like here? And so, uh, we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about fearless worship. And so I'm going to unpack that. I feel like every 18 months, every couple of years, we kind of need to drill down and into our moorings there as a church and our DNA and unpack what it looks like to worship. So I'm going to talk about what you were created to do. And then I'm going to talk about seven Hebrew words for worship. Then we're going to bring up our fearless worship leaders, Taps and Michael Lanningham. We're going to put them on the hot seat, and I'm going to ask them questions about worship, all right? So good, okay. Right on. So we're talking about why do we worship? We're talking about a God who left heaven when we were actually his enemies. We were God's enemies, and he left heaven and died on a cross for us that we might know him. And so worship then is so central to our the story of every Christ follower there. And so we don't want to waste our days on earth, okay, without understanding the central idea that I do exist to worship. And so you were created by God. You were hardwired by God to want to worship something. So whether or not you want it, you can say, you know what? You don't understand. Like, I'm not a church person. I'm not like a singer. You know, I can't hold it up. That's not what we're talking about here. I just want to establish this fact and take it off the table. Okay. That you cannot be a person who doesn't worship. You worship. It's just a matter of what you worship. You were created and hardwired by God to worship something, to worship him. But if you don't worship him, you will worship something else. You'll worship the restaurant you want to go to. You'll worship a relationship. You'll worship your favorite sports team. You'll worship, you know, money. You'll find something to worship, but you'll worship something. You don't have an option about that because that's how you were hardwired by God. And so he created me. He captured me by his grace. I'm not here, you know, incidentally or accidentally. I exist for God to worship God here. And it has nothing to do with your personality. Has nothing to do with you're a Dodger fan or a Boston fan. Has nothing, has nothing to do, has nothing to do, you know, with your male or female, introvert or extra. It doesn't matter. Okay. You were created to worship God. And so I want to challenge some of you that I feel like, you know, uh, you have mindsets that really need to be adjusted to like what God has said here and maybe let your mind be kind of recalibrated to what God has said. And so this morning we were going to take it off the table that we're not worshipers because all of us are here because this is what I know to be true. Okay, maybe you don't, maybe you're not like into the songs we sing and that's okay here. But there is something in your life. There is somewhere in your life. Okay, there is, there is something that awakens your heart. There is something that stirs your passions here. There's something that causes you to want to praise and, and honor something. And you can say, well, it's not my thing. I'm not a singer. You know, I'm not a hand raiser. I'm not musical. I can't hold a note and all that. But there is something inside you that you will, your heart will respond to. There's something that will float your boat. Okay. There's something that will float your boat. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's Xbox. Maybe it's your favorite re runs, you know, maybe it's, you know, the deal, maybe it's the dollar sign, it's the GPA, 
It's the result. It's a test score. But there's something there that, that just floats your boat and stirs your hearts there. So all that to say this. All of us were created with a heart that was shaped to adore God. All of us were. No exceptions there. Your heart was shaped by God and for God. And for some of you here this morning, I'm going to explain to you why you don't like your life. For some of you here this morning, I'm going to explain to you like why your life's a bit boring. Why maybe you don't even like yourself. I'm going to explain that this morning here. And so you're wired to worship here. And so when your heart goes after something else other than God, when your heart goes crazy for something other than God, ultimately you are going to be disappointed in that thing there. And it'll come to expression in every area of your life. But when your eyes are opened to the be-all and end-all of everything that is, which is Jesus Christ, when then our hearts will want to respond to him, which goes something like this. And this is what it looks like for me. I can't believe, God, that you would do that for me, that I was hopeless there, and I have no right being here this morning, that you died for me. I can't believe that. And everything within me, everything within me wants to respond to everything that you are and everything that you've done. Every fiber in my being wants to echo back to you the praise and adoration that I feel in my heart for what you've done for me. And so what Jesus did on the cross, watch, what Jesus did on the cross calls out of me what God wired into me, which is a heart of adoration and praise. What Jesus did on the cross calls out of me what God wired into me, which is a heart of adoration and praise. And so this morning we're going to talk about that. What is worship then? Worship is not just what we do on Sundays. Worship, then, is a way of life. It's much bigger than what we do on Sundays here. Worship is the response of the heart to God. You've heard me say it before. Worship is responding to all that he is and all that he has done with all that we are. It is a response there. It's offering yourself to God. Romans 12.1. I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present yourself a living sacrifice, a sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your act of worship to present yourself before God there. So worship then, uh, a worshiper is who you are. It's a way of life. You can't stop it there. And so it's not a sin to be into whatever, you know, sports or soccer, your Maui trip, whatever. It's not, it's not a problem to be into that just as those things don't become our, our, our be all and end all. And so the fact of the matter is, everyone in the room here, again, you're going to worship something. And so, um, so let me just say this here, is that uh, some people have, can have an attitude, you know, like this. It's like, you know what, uh, I'm a person here, I'm the, I'm the kind of person, uh, when it comes to things like that, is that I just love God in my heart. Okay, just think about that. If you try, if you extrapolate that, do you extrapolate that to the rest of your life? I just love God in my heart, but you'd never know otherwise. Does that work in marriage? I just love my wife in my heart, but I never tell her. I never show her that. You know, I never demonstrate that. I never respond to all that she is and all that she has done. Would that work in that relationship? 
No, no, would it? Okay. So, so really then you, you're built, you know, not to have this thing where I just love God in my heart. There, there's more than that. And so now watch, watch. Our minds are going to, we're going to unpack and we're going to grasp what God has said about the kind of worship and what that looks like. And so in your notes there, in your notes, I want to point this out to you. That we become like that which we worship. We become like that which we worship. And so if you worship money, you'll be all about money. You'll view life through money. You'll become greedy ultimately at the core of your heart. Maybe, you know, uh, if you worship your stuff and it's all about stuff all the time, then you're going to become materialistic. See, you become like the God that you worship. So if you think about it, if you don't like your life, Maybe you need, to, you need to think about, well, what, what am I worshiping? You know, if I don't like the person that I'm becoming, maybe I need to think about or who I am. I need to think about what I'm worshiping because I only become like that which I worship. The Bible puts it this way in Psalm 115, verse 8. It says, and those who make idols, right, are just like them. You are just like the idol that you make, as we all are who trust in them here. So simply put, we become like what we worship. If you don't like what you're becoming, we just take an inventory uh, of what's on the throne of your heart there. And so what God is looking for, so now let's shift gears here to what kind of worship does God like? <coughs> it says this in John chapter 24. Jesus said that God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So let me take just a moment and unpack that there. Some of you grew up in, in maybe in church backgrounds where it was all about the spirits, you know, and there was excitement and there was emotion and there was wild expression and, and, uh, and maybe in some cases, you know, there wasn't like huge regard for truth and man, there was a lot of expression there and, and just kind of a emotional experience there. And so let me say this, that people can overreact to that as if like God would cauterize our emotions in worship. Yes, you do respond and in, in you're with your emotions there. But others of us then, maybe you're from a background where you have been pounded with truth and truth and more truth and let's study the word and let's dig into theology, you know, and let's dig into doctrine here and we're going to study the Bible and it's dry and it's lifeless there. And there was like no spirit whatsoever. And they were, they were never so moved in the church in worship that they actually moved known as the frozen chosen. Okay. And so what kind of, what kind of style? I was like, I was like I'm wondering, are they going to get the point? Okay, I'll give them another angle at it. So, uh, so what kind of style does, what kind of worship style does God like? You know, what, what is he into? It's really not a mystery because it's in the Bible there. It's in the Bible. Now, uh, before we approach that, I'd just like to say one last thing. And that is as a culture, one of the issues of being, the challenges of being transformed as a community of worship is this, is we're not a singing culture. We don't sing as a culture. You don't hear people sing usually at sports events unless it's a national anthem. So we don't grow up singing. 
you know, uh, uh, as, as, a, as a regular part of being steeped in a culture. Not like European countries, not like in Africa. They sing all from the time they're, they're little, they sing. That's all they know is singing. So even if they don't go to church, they sing and sing and sing. So people come to church like it's an awkward thing to sing publicly because they've never really done that. And so uh, we live in a culture where we love sports and we love our concerts. Uh, we go early and we hang out at tailgate parties and we paint our faces and everything. And everybody goes wild and everybody goes crazy. Like in the 18th inning, game number three, World Series. Come on, somebody. Okay, come on, somebody. You were in your living room. There you were at whatever it was. I went to bed, okay, in about the 14th inning. But there you are. And, uh, okay, the score is tied and bam, hits it over the fence. Does anybody go, oh, yeah, hit a home run, won the World Series. Let's keep our hands in our pockets. Shh, don't celebrate. Why would you celebrate? Or did people go crazy? Is there a Dodger fan in the house? Did people go crazy? And so, and what do we call that when, when people do that? We call them fans. And then on Sunday morning, if we raise our hands, we call them fanatics. Now, I want to show you God's style of worship here uh, out of the Psalms. And so it's taken from Hebrew words. Hebrew words are like really elaborate, you know, and in English language, uh, they're very condensed. And so we're going to unpack what praise means in Hebrew language. And I'm going to go through it fairly quickly here, okay? So I'm going to go through it fast, okay? Most common words. Number one in your notes there is halal. It means to rave, to boast. Okay, it means to celebrate or be clamorously foolish. God likes it when you celebrate. God likes it when you get a little crazy there. See, God's looking for people, really, and we're as responding to him that are excited about him to see him. So it is to, it is to, uh, 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 to respond to him with some heart and some emotion there. Psalm 35, 18, I will thank you in the front of the great assembly. I will halal celebrate you in front of all the people. I will get a little bit crazy here. And so now, if this journey is taking you, takes you outside your comfort zone, just know that this is a way, like just think about, um, you know, uh, the next verse here, yada, I mean the next word yada, means a hand rendered to God. It means to worship with an extended hand. Now think about this. We do this in our culture all the time. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Yeah. Or you go, hey, great, great to see you. We don't think anything of it to do it in other forms and culture, but then God says, you know what? I like that when you go, hey God, how you, thank you. I like that. And so that's all it's saying here, to praise him with more than your vocal cords. Okay, to, to do more than your vocal cords. To like, you know, little kids do it all the time. They reach their hands to their parents, you know, and then, uh, and then they get old enough where people go, you know, that's not cool. Not cool that you would do that, but that's inside you to, to, to raise your hands like that. Psalm 138 says, I'll praise you or yada, Lord, with all my heart. The third word then is barak. And so it's to bless by kneeling or bowing. There's times where you feel moved by God's, by who God is and all that he has done that you may just want to bow down and get on your knees, maybe in, in private there to kneel or to bow down and to give, and to give God his rightful place in your life. Psalm 34, I will barak, I will bless the Lord at all times. Psalm 95, 
Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. And so this is part of worship. Another a fourth word for praise is this, is zamar. And it means to pluck those bad boys with joy, you know, on the instrument. If you're a musician, man, to just announce God's presence and praise him with your instrument and pluck those bad boys. I wish I could play the guitar and give you an illustration here. But anyway, to pluck the, 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 uh, the strings of an instrument with a joyful expression. The joyful expression, Psalm 92. It's good. It's a good thing to praise, to smack those strings to the Lord and make music in your name. A fifth word is shabak. And uh, to say that, you almost need to uh, have a little spray that comes from your mouth. You know, like a little shabak. Okay, to, uh, it means to shout, to shout in your notes, to shout, okay, to address in a loud tone. And so... Um, if you love somebody, you love something, are you like monotone all the time? Honey, I just want you to know that I love you and you're the most amazing woman on the planet. Um, kids, you are so great. You are so awesome. I just love you. Come on. Do you shout at the game? The Bible says, shout unto God, the voice of triumph. There's sometimes in your experience, in your journey, you just let out a good shout. Like, yeah, God, yes, you rock, or whatever. But just you let out a good shout. It's not weird. It's not like being, you know, whatever. It's being biblical. Okay, it literally means to praise him, to shout at times with a loud tone. There will be moments when you just want to... You know, let it, let it rip before God. And so to let out a good shout, Psalm 63 says this. By the way, look, these, this concept of worship, it's not new, you know. It's not, this has been around for thousands and thousands of years. Psalm 63. Because your love is better than life, it's better than golf, better than iPhones, better than the beach house, my lips will glorify you. I will shabak, I will shout out to you, uh, just occasionally, what, I will shout out to you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. The sixth Hebrew word is this. Twoda means to lift hands in adoration. Okay, there's yada to extend your hand to thank God. This is like a little different twist in adoration. And so uh, when you adore something, you know, uh, think about concerts, you know, they're all waving their hands, right? See, if you don't go to concerts, look at YouTube videos. They're all waving their hands. They're kind of adoring the, you know, the, the people on stage there. What adoring, what about adoring the heavenly stage, you know, your heavenly father there, Psalm 50. He who offers praise or todah, okay, raises hands uh, toward me in adoration. He's glorifying me. So will you glorify God there, just raising your hand toward him. And lastly, Tehillah. It's uh, exuberant singing, exuberant singing. Now, it, it sounds a little bit like tequila. And, you know, people, when they have a couple of those or four or five hits, 
at the bar, there's some exuberant singing going on. How many people know what I'm talking about? Don't raise your hand there. But you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, you know? Uh, whether it's karaoke or whatever. Man, they're like having a great old time there. But this is talking about, you know what, you don't, you don't, there's no high like the most high. There's no high like the most high. And you don't have to have tequila. You can just have tahila, praise in your heart, exuberant singing to God. That was good. I enjoyed saying that. <laughs> I really enjoyed saying that. That was fun for me. So Psalm 34, I will extol, I will tahila, and I don't need any tequila, okay, the Lord at all times, his praise will always be on my lips, all right? So there it is. There you have it. I'm going to invite up our fearless worship leaders. In just a minute before I do, I want you to just thank them for leading us. So do you know that TAPS drives in? This is his church. Do you know that drive, TAPS drives in from Los Angeles every week? He drives in. TAPS gets up. When we're all sleeping and everything, Taps gets up so we can be with you. And he drives by about 10,000 churches that would love to have him at their church and have begged to have him. Churches like Saddleback Church have tried to hire him for years. And he drives by Saddleback every morning to be with you. He drives by Mariners, has tried to hire him for years, but to be with you. That's Taps. That's Taps Hearts because he loves this community and we love Taps. And then there is my favorite, Michael Landingham. They're both my favorites, but Michael Landingham. And we love Michael Landingham. We love his exuberance and his heart. Would you please, would you please welcome Taps and Michael as they come up and we're going to talk to them about worship. All right, guys. Good. So I got some questions I'm going to pepper them with. And, uh, and so, uh, and there may be some extemporaneous questions here, but I just want you to also get to know them a little bit too, and uh, to hear a little bit about their lives. So I want to begin with this question, and that is, how in the heck did they end up here in the first place? How, you know what I'm saying? How did they end up? How did they end up being worship leaders? And so uh, I'm going to begin with Taps here. Taps, tell us how did you get to be on this stage? Tell some people that don't know where you came from. Where did you come from, and how did you get? To to be here. Just in case you couldn't see me. <laughs> um, so my journey started back in Zimbabwe. For those who don't know, I grew up in Zimbabwe and um, I was at an orphanage and um, a friend of mine had uh, started going to a youth group and he asked me, he said, you should come to check out this youth group on a Friday night. And I said to him, I was like, ah, I don't know that church is for me. You know, I said, look at where we are. You know, if God loved us, why are we in an orphanage? Where are our parents? Why have we been deprived of what everybody else has? So I was like, yeah, that's really not for me. And um, so he kept hounding me and said, every week he would come and say, man, you got to come check the youth group out. And I said, I don't know. And eventually I said, look, if I go to church with you one time, promise you will never ever bring this up again ever <laughs> and he said deal and so on friday night i got ready and i went to to this youth group and they just happened to be having a worship night that night and i was and how so, old were you how i was i was 15 and i had never felt like that before and i saw young people my age worshiping and i remember saying 
I want that. I want what they have. And I, whatever it was that I felt, I couldn't explain it at that time in my life. But I was like, I want that feeling. I mm. want that. And so that night, I gave my life to Christ. Mm. And um, wow, yes, yeah, so, awesome. And then uh, the church, the church had. Uh, we used to meet in cell groups every Wednesday, and because we met at at the orphanage, uh, cell groups were usually about eight or nine people, but our cell group was 50 because of all the boys at the home. So we had the biggest cell group in the country. And then our youth pastor and the pastors had heard about the cell group and they heard me singing at the cell group. And they said, uh, we want you to lead worship. And I said, no, I'm quite happy being right here. I can lead these boys. I don't really want to go out and lead. So Taft, you led worship then. Uh, or you led worship at St. Joseph's with the 50 kids, yeah. and they invited you to lead at their church, yeah. which you would eventually do as a teenager. Yes. And how many people were at that church that you would lead at as a teenager? Uh, 20,000 people, yeah. So you led, you led worship as a teenager, 15 years old, before 20,000 people. Yes. Yes, I got involved, and I started leading worship. And, um, and I remember... Uh, when I was leading, sort of when I gave my life to Christ, I wanted the other boys. I said, guys, I found, I, I said, I thought God hated us. I thought he hated us because we were here. We're in this home and we don't have parents. And, you know, I thought he didn't care about us, but it's actually quite the opposite. Hmm. And I wanted them to, to, hmm. to see, to share that love. Hmm. And eventually God had a bigger dream and a bigger story for me than mm. I understood at that time. Well, wow. now, Taps, you're self-taught. There's no one in the orphanage to teach you, so you completely taught yourself everything you know about music and your foundations. Um, how did you get a like? What, how did you get an instrument like to play a guitar? How did, when there when you didn't have one and you had no way, you had no money and no parents to buy you musical instruments? How did you? What did you do? Uh, one of the boys had an older sister, and he had a guitar. But he wouldn't share his guitar. And so late at night, I would climb a, um, what did you call it? Rain gutter. A rain gutter. I have to say the accent. A rain gutter. And um, I would climb. Up the second story? Up to two stories. And bare feet. When did you do this? And I was probably like 16 at night, probably about like 1 in the morning. And I would strap the guitar on my back and I would go back down and I would go in and I would learn all these worship songs. The first song I learned how to play was Open the Eyes of My Heart wow. on guitar. Yeah, you know, it was so tough. And so, because that was the most challenging song for me at the time just because it was all open chords. And, and so I learned that. And so that was my mission. I said, if I can get this song, then I'll be able to play everything. So else. you learned to play the guitar by going under the cover of darkness. Yes. Skinning up. A second story. <laughs> yes. Sneaking into his room. Sneaking into his room. Sneaking out with the guitar. Sneaking out with his... Going back down yep. and playing all night. And playing all night. And that's and how you sneaking learned. sneaking back and leaving and the sneaking guitar. sneaking back up Taking and it back it. to make sure that he, he wouldn't move it. Because if he knew I was learning, he was going to hide <laughs> it. So I had to leave it exactly how it was. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, yeah, yeah, you, you also did worship. And I want Mike to hear your story. You also, when you were like a little tyke, you told me... Four years old, you would go out 
uh, and you had corporate events you had to do. Yes. Can you tell us about what that looked like? So when uh, when, the, when I was at the children's home, I used to go out and sing at weddings and at at bank functions that they would have. Uh, so this was from about four all the way up, and I remember just just because we the way we grew up. Uh, I was telling them yesterday. Like, uh, a lot of the times we were hungry, so we would take rice. And you were hungry because you ate how often? Uh, sometimes, I mean, if, if the children's home had food, we would eat three times a day, but if they didn't, we would eat once. So there was so a there lot were of times, times you only a lot ate of the times when we ate once a day. So you were, the, kids, and, the kids are hungry. Yeah, kids are hungry, so we would go to these functions, and I would, we would put rice and mashed potatoes in our pockets, <laughs> and chicken in our pockets, and, and meat. And then when we, we would stuff your pockets we would with stuff rice, stuff it with mashed everything, potatoes, whatever we get, chicken. It was, and bear in mind, the pockets weren't that clean. Okay, so they weren't clean. But at that point, the food was amazing. So it's like <laughs> we're taking some of this back home with us, and so we would stuff this food in our pocket. But what I, what's so amazing about that is is sort of being on the other end and seeing how worship, because this whole journey for me started in the church. Mm. You know, that's where I found meaning in the midst of my chaos. Mm. And God found me even when I hadn't even, I didn't find myself Mm. until later on, even as a worship leader. Mm. I really didn't know who I was then or Mm. what this life was all about because I still had the struggles Mm. of growing up in the orphanage Mm. and wondering where my parents were. Mm. But staying the course and staying faithful to what God had called me was important mm. and it sort of brought me to this point in my life. It's a beautiful story. A beautiful story. So Michael, your story is quite different. Your story is, yeah, tell I us was about your story. Zimbabwe. <laughs> yeah, we kind of, we kind of <laughs> gathered that. We kind of gathered that. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my story, wow. Um, I was raised in the church. Hmm. So I grew up in the church. My parents, uh, they were youth pastors. So I was always around church. And, but I was a wild child. I was, you know, I come from a family of five siblings. And I was the wild one. And I really did not like going to church. But I loved worship. Worship to me was just like, I always felt something. Even though I wasn't sold out to Jesus yet, I felt every time I went to a worship service, it was like something I felt, a peace, and I loved it. So anytime, and worship was always on in our house, all the time, just hearing it, and I loved it. There's something that, you know, is very pleasing to me. Um, but it wasn't until I'm uh, 14. You were 14. Old. I was 14, yeah. You really waited a long time to kind of yeah. get, get in track of this, okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was 14, and my parents are like, you know, you're crazy. We're going to send you off to a missions trip. The missions trip was in San Diego, California, and it was a, they're called City of Refuge. And what they do is they, they help homeless. They have nine homes in the heart of San Diego, just amazing people. They house the homeless. And, you know, so I go to this, and I was just forever changed by this experience. You know, just seeing, like, the heart of Jesus to the broken and the poor of San Diego, it really touched me. So I remember they had this night. It was a worship night. This like taps. It was, a, it was an all worship night. And it was for the youth, hmm. and they house all the street kids. So the street hmm. kids are coming in, and I remember just being in this worship service, and I just felt so much of God's love just fall upon hmm. me, and I was undone. And I'm looking around. We're worshiping, and I'm seeing the kids are just bawling. 
Mm. And there was this, this moment where the presence of God was just so amazing. Mm. And right there at that moment, I actually just gave my life to Jesus. Mm. Just right in worship. Just was like, you know, I knew just growing up the gospel and everything, but I finally at that moment gave my life to the Lord. Mm. And it was just an amazing experience. And then from there on, it was like, I had this heart. I wanted to be a worship leader. Mm. I've always seen worship leaders. I'm like, I want to do that. I want to create Since that you moment. were a little guy. Since I was a little guy, yeah. Hmm. And it was that moment, though, where I was seeing how worship can really transform people hmm. and bring people into an experience with God. And that was something I really wanted to do. So from that moment, you know, I got saved, gave my life to the Lord. I had no musical ability whatsoever. I mean, none. So I go home, and then I steal my sister's guitar. Hey, we got a theme going on here about stealing guitars. Because <laughs> I had nothing. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I just I learned two chords, and that's all I had. And I sounded terrible. I mean, I sound like a duck in a wood chipper. I mean, God bless my family because I'm out in my room just singing out to the Lord, just learning. Um, but that was the moment, you know, where it started for me right there. Wow. And then from then on, it was like just more opportunities came to where it was like, hey, you want to, you know. Also, my first song was Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord, which I thought was really funny. That's the first song I learned. I had like two songs in my pocket. That was it. And then I led at my parents' home group. So they wow. were so gracious. How old were you when you did that? That was now, I would say, like six months later. So I think I was 15 now at this point. So 15, you started 15, leading. Yeah, where I really started leading. So I was learning. It was really fast, all self-taught. And the Holy Spirit really was just, you know, teaching me. Wow. So wow. I started leading there for a while. And then from then on, like, God just kept giving me huh. more opportunities that I stepped wow. into. Wow. Tell us, uh, that's awesome. That's a great story. Uh, tell us, uh, like, in, in terms of influence, who is the greatest influence in your life as a worship person and why? Who's the greatest worship influence in your life, Taps, and why were they? Um, I think my greatest worship influence was my uh, worship director. Um, and I say that because he saw what I couldn't see at that time. Mm. He saw the potential that was locked in. And especially when I started leading worship, he would... He would encourage me. He said, you know what? People need to be directed. You know, when people walk in, sometimes they're unsure of what to do in worship. They're not sure because everybody comes from a different background. And it's your job as the worship leader to help them usher themselves into the presence of God. And this on a personal level, he, at that time, he didn't realize that I would walk in a total of four hours to church. Every Sunday. So I would walk. I had to be at church by 7 a.m. So I would get up at 3 a.m. And I would walk. And I would lead till the evening. So I wouldn't eat all day. And sometimes they wouldn't save me any dinner. At at, the orphanage. At the orphanage. Because. And so I would eat the next day. So I wouldn't eat the whole of Sunday. And um, so he sort of figured that out after about two years. When he saw me. So you walked two hours, two hours to get to church. To you church. got up at three in the morning. Yeah. You walked two hours to yeah. church. And then when you were done in the evening. In the evening, yeah. Because you had an evening. So then you'd yeah. walk two hours home. Then I'd walk two hours home. And a lot of times you never ate. Yeah. And so, but he saw the, the potential. And for me, it wasn't about, um, it wasn't about, you know, people knowing what I was going to, it was just, I was just on a, on a mission to find out who this God was mm. and why he would 
why he loved me so much, mm. you know, in my wretched life. And I needed mm. to understand more about him. And I found that understanding in worship. And he helped me with that journey mm. because sometimes I had questions about now, that. Now, Taos, were you, were you like, like really like out there, like, you know, worship leader, really outgoing or what, what were you like when you began this journey? I was painfully shy. I, you couldn't. Believe it or not, <laughs> you couldn't even get, you could not even get hello out of me. You couldn't, I mean, I was so... You were shut down? I was shut down. I had like, you know, because I didn't grow up in a conventional home, I I was so frightened of people outside because in Zimbabwe there was a stigma on orphanage, on mm. orphans. And so naturally I just closed up. And so learning to... Love and that he was also my greatest influence because for the first time I I learned the word family mm. because he said you are my family mm. and I was like I don't even know what that means mm. and so him breaking that down to me of what family is and little did I know that he was teaching me lessons that would carry me throughout my entire life and I still use those today. Wow! Wow! Beautiful. How about you? That's beautiful. Michael, how about you? Like, uh, here you, you're a young upstart, wild child. Uh, you go to this crazy event in San Diego and you just have this moment, this God moment. And you all of a sudden you want to like, I want to do that. And uh, next thing you know, you're leading in your parents' living room at 15. Who is it? Who's the greatest influence and why in your life? I have a couple. So my first one, it's a guy named Pat Luna. He was uh, a worship. He was the worship pastor at Pure Rock Church in Beaumont. Any Pure Rockers? I know there's a couple. There's a few. Wow, there's a few from Pure Rock, and so you guys have seen me kind of grow up in this journey. Um, but again, I was about you know 15 and a half, maybe almost 16 now, and I got a little bit better, not a whole lot. <laughs> But he, he took a chance on me. He saw that, you know, I just I had this raw talent, this this gift in me. And he kind of pulled me alongside and said, hey, I want to I want to mentor you. Mm. And I want to, you know, do all I can to help you in your worship leading journey. Mm. And he really poured a lot into me. He taught me more chords than the two I knew. So I went to like four chords at this time. Learn a couple more songs, and uh, he really did pour a lot into me in that season. He brought me up on stage, which that was a, a gamble, and <laughs> it was great, though. So he was one, and then another one uh, is a, a man named Gary Ray, and he's actually from South Africa. Amazing man, amazing worship leader, and at this point, I actually moved to the beach in San Clemente. I was at this church called Heritage Christian Fellowship, and the same thing. I was about 17 now. Um, and at this point I actually recorded an album hmm. and I was going around playing at different churches and, you know, kind of fast forwarding. And he, again, just saw me, you know, the young 17 year old pulled me under his wing. Hmm. And that was very pivotal at that point in my life. Cause it was like, do you want to do this for the rest hmm. of your life? That's what he asked me. He said, do you feel called to this? And I said, yeah, I feel well, so. So both of you had people that. Uh, called you out with what God had put inside you and saw that gift inside you. Wow, that's amazing. So what does worship taps, what does worship mean to you? Like, you know, you come here, you drive out from L.A. What is it in, your, in the whole of your life? You grew up in an orphanage and brokenness, and, and, and here you are. What does it mean to you to, be a, to, to worship? I think for me, worship is a lot more than singing songs. It's not... The song part is just, I think it's 10% of what worship is. I think worship is, is 
being fully committed to God and that walk. Because, like you said, if you're not worshipping God, you're definitely going to be worshipping something else. And so for me, because if I... If I didn't love God that much, trust me, I wouldn't get up at four on a Sunday morning to drive out here. Mm -hmm. But because I can sing a song anywhere else, Mm -hmm. but it's about my relationship with God. And it's really gaining understanding of what that is for my personal life and then for what it means for the corporate body on Mm -hmm. a Sunday. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really a home thing. You have to. Be, it has to be, it has to start at home with yourself, with your family, and, and then eventually it pours out on a Sunday morning. So I found that the more I chase after God and what He wants for me, the easier worship gets. Because mm. the further I am from Him, the harder it is to worship Him. Mm. So. Hmm. Thank you. How about you, Michael? What does worship, what does worship mean to you? Such a loaded question, but I would say uh, one of the main things for me is worship is surrender, bottom line. And, you know, like you were saying with Romans 12, 1, you know, to present yourselves as living sacrifices, right? That is your spiritual form of worship. And I think of the story where the woman was, that came in was at Jesus' feet and broke the expensive alabaster flask of oil, right? And then washed Jesus' feet with her hair. Mm. And this was, you know, they were saying it was like a year's wages. It was very, you know, it was like Versace, you know, (laughs) like on Jesus' feet. And the disciples are freaking out. They're like, what are you doing? Like, we could have sold this and all this stuff. And Jesus stops them and says, stop. This Mm. woman has done a beautiful thing. Mm. That she poured out everything. And Mm. it says that that fragrance filled the room. Mm. So I think of that when we worship, guys, like when we're here on a Sunday morning and we're worshiping, it's an aroma, it's a fragrance that we're lifting up to God. And he loves that. He looks at this, that and says, that's a beautiful thing. You know? And so I really believe it, it's, it's our lives, that we're giving our lives. We're, we're breaking that oil on his feet as worship. That's, that's awesome. So one last thing um, is uh, how, would you, how would you guys kind of encourage people that maybe their background, you know, uh, is a little decaffeinated worship, you know, and they, and they, they come here, experience a little more lively or, or just in general, like, how would you, how would you encourage people that like take a next step? Like, right. What would you tell them? I think like for anybody out there, you know, what I try for myself is we used to say this at our church back home. We grow up as Zimbabweans and we're African, but Once we give our lives to Christ, the old has passed and the new has come. So we become kingdom culture. We, we, we exist in God's kingdom. And so for all those who are battling, because I was such a revelation for me coming here, because I obviously come from a a culture where people are bouncing off the walls and doing cartwheels in church, you know, and running and, and that's normal. And that's normal. And yeah. then coming to a church, to, to a country where people sort of stand and are very stoic and just like, mm, I'm not going to move. So that's what Americans are like. Absolutely. Very like stiff when, and stoic. When I just, Did like, that bother you? It bothered me so much. It like, I was like, do these guys not even care? Like, is it just like... Because you went to a lot of churches and you led all over the place, uh, yeah. big churches, and you saw that everywhere. Massive churches. And I went and I saw that everywhere. And I stiff, stoic, stiff, what's wrong? Just like, I'm not, no matter what you say, you will not get me to move. I am a tree that is, 
I am a tree that is planted. You really? know, you're going to have to get a bulldozer to rip me off my position. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> and so you come from a culture where people don't move and don't sing. And when I had that conversation with you, it, it rang a bell in my head. And I said, wow, they grow up where singing and movement is not part of their culture. Mm-hmm. And it's part of my culture. Mm-hmm. But when you come into, when you say, God, I give my life to you, your culture drops. Because your culture is always going to be in conflict with what God has for you. Mm. Being an African will always come in conflict because that's my human nature. Being American will always come in conflict with what God has for you because that's your culture. So when you step into the kingdom of God, all that drops away. And it's like, what do you want from me, God? And Acts 11 says, you know, a practical thing to do is learn about worship. Learn about what you're doing. Understand what it is you're doing. Because sometimes back home, we just scream and shout. And it's like, wait, did you guys even hear what he said? It doesn't even make sense. (laughs) You know? He's just, and we're just all jumping. He could have said, oh, we're all going to jump into a lake of fire. And we're like, woo, let's go for it. You know? And so a practical thing I would say is gain understanding for what you do. But leave your culture behind because it will always hinder what God has for you. Mm. And I've had to learn that for myself, Mm. that I don't operate as being a Zimbabwean anymore. I'm a child of the kingdom, and that's where I reside. So I would encourage you guys to time. Yeah, just to add a little bit to that, there's something practical I look at. You know, James 4.8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So I would say just in taking that next step as a worshiper, um, actively seek him, you know, and reading through the scripture is so helpful, especially Psalms. When you read through Psalms, you're going to see like, there's some radical worship leaders, you know, there's some radical worshipers, David being one of them, you know, dancing in the streets. But I, I even, even in my journey, just kind of reading through, I look at stuff where it says, clap your hands, all you people, you know, or lift, like we were just saying, lift up a shout, extend your hand, all those things. And maybe you don't do any of them. Maybe it's out of your comfort zone. But I want to encourage you, maybe try to clap your hands one time. See how it makes you feel, you know, and take those steps. Right on. Would you guys thank Taps and Michael? Yeah, right on.